Gold diggers and fancy boys, set your Rolexes for caviar o'clock, stroke your turgid portfolio, and a free podcast in this economy? Would the, would the plural of Rolex be Rolexes? It's time to talk to me. I thought you were going to say, you'd be losing money not to listen to talk to me. That's the low-hanging fruit. This little, well, it's my favorite kind. That's the stuff I can reach. <laughs> I'll get you an apple crate next time so Thank you can get a little higher. <laughs> Welcome back. I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together, somehow, we are feckless moes. And miraculously, this is Talk Tall to Me. A timely windfall in the balanced sheets of prog rock in which net worth Nick and overdraft Omen will calculate the return on investment of every single track that long-term growth model rock band Jethro Tull has ever produced. We will borrow some blockchain from Martin Barr, trade personal penny stocks with David Pegg, and identify the QIP and the RDM of the GDP with PJV. (laughs) And if we can survive the Keynesian kickback of the free flute market, we will see if acid test angel investor Ian Anderson will acquire our artificial annuities. You know, for... The last three minutes writing this and freaking out about it not being good. Oh, man, that was really good. Don't don't tell them that I wrote it. They need to know. On the back of a napkin on my way from the bathroom. We are honest. Why do you have napkins in the bathroom? I'm not sure. Ran out of toilet paper. <laughs> Nick, welcome back. Welcome back, Omen. Tis a brand new day here on the Talk Tell to Me podcast, not only because it is literally... A fresh new day in which the infinite possibilities stream outward from us, but also because we are unwrapping a new album. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you for joining us for album number 15, 1984's Under Wraps. Under Wraps. That's how Ian pronounces it, yeah. Nothing else with a Scottish accent, but that... Yeah, it's odd. It's very peculiar. This album was released in the year that you and I were conceived. That's true. That's a fact. And actually, that's that's. A, I'm glad you bring that up because I did the math, and Ian was 37 when he produced this album, and we that's are 37 now. That's the age that we are that's, now. That's it. We have oh come God. full circle. Kismet, the the planets and dates and the the full circle of time has aligned. The wow. discs are stacked. We are in our under wraps period, right? Of like the Jesus talked all to me. Yeah. Wait, didn't wow. Jesus die at thirty seven too? <gasps> that was Kurt Cobain. Oh, okay. that was twenty seven. Je- was Jesus only twenty seven? Boy, he 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 just had a life full ahead of him. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was one of the early members of Nirvana, but yeah. he he dropped out after after a while. Too many band members. That's that's when Dave Grohl took over, right? Jesus was, that's right. was drums originally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's pretty cool. Nick, a couple of fun facts about this album before we dive into the first song yeah. off of the album. Right. Correct. Who we who are we going to be listening to on this album, Omen? In fact, it's an uh, interesting. Interesting personnel shift in the sense that there is basically no shift. It is the same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Except that, meaning that we have Ian Anderson, Martin Bard, David Pegg, and Peter John Vitesse. However, we have lost, perhaps misplaced, a drummer. Yeah, it's not me, Jerry, lad. It, it's you. The Drum Machine 3000, just it just gets me. It understands my needs. Yeah, so Ian Anderson is credited as playing the vocals, the flute, the acoustic guitar, drum programming, and the Fairlight CMI. Yeah, we heard he he was dabbling with the Fairlight last episode on Broadsword. Uh, last album, rather, on Broadsword. Sure He was, was credited with that. But drum programming is a new credit that he has. And um, yeah, he, he enjoyed it so much on Walk Into Light that he gave Jerry the boot and brought it in. He didn't have to pay it as much. Hopefully it was a gentle boot. A gentle one. He only has to feed it souls. The drum machine just takes souls, and Ian has a lot of those lying around. He does. Yeah. He does. Well, Hopefully it was a 
Oh, I'm. I mean, such. I mean, I'm so off kilter, Nick. I'm. I'm forgetting the, the names of major fashion designers. Oh, just put me out to pasture. Oh my I'm done. gosh, pa- pasture designers. Yes. Terribly embarrassing. So yeah, Martin on electric, Dave on bass and double bass, Peter John Vatisse, which I actually I heard, I heard a live album where he Ian pronounced it Vatesi. Oh, interesting. However, he, I've also heard him refer to Martin as Martin Barre, so who the hell knows? Right. <laughs> Speaking of Mr. Vitesse, 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 this is one of the first albums, one of the first proper Jethro Tull albums since the very first album that credit other participants in the songwriting process than Ian Anderson. That's true. All tracks are credited to Ian and PJV. That's right unless they are otherwise indicated. Uh, and some of them have a, a Martin Barr credit. You don't say. I do. That's on the rare side, too, for, for the amount of time that was invested, that Martin invested in the band. Yeah. Also, and we will no doubt talk more about this later, after the album had released and they were going on tour for this album, Ian was warned by his doctors to postpone the tour since he had been suffering from vocal distress. Yeah. They ignored their advice which is what doctor's advice is for. For, for ignoring? For ignoring. Yeah, you have okay. to have something to ignore. And went on the tour, and we'll talk a little bit more about the vocal struggles and recovery that he had a little bit later on. But that's true. For now, Nick, I'm very excited to unwrap, to underwrap the very first song off of this album, which is Lap of Luxury. Let's lick a listen. <laughs> lum lum. Nick, there we have lap of luxury. Is this a luxurious sound to you? That feels like a loaded question. Mm, Not loaded with options, though. Price to sell. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you're right. The only option is no. (laughs) It's it's an interesting song. It's an interesting sound. Yeah. Now, before we get, get into it, to be clear, you this is not a first time listen, but you're you're super not familiar with Under Wraps, right? I I've probably listened to all of Under Wraps once. Yeah, I've never owned the album, so this is definitely new territory for me. Okay, and I have to admit, I'm struggling a little bit with processing this sound, and this is something that always, you know, always happened to me whenever I got it got my hands on a new Tall album because every mm. album does sound so different. But this sounds. So, so different. Even more so different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is even beyond what Walk Into Light was. I think it was so, it's even so much more drastic than that. There's, there's some semblance of like a folk sound, maybe the, the shadow of a folk sound in Walk Into Light. Ian's first solo album, for those not in the know, which is you, Harold, get with it. Yeah. But this this one is just so synthy, funky, drummy that it's 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 a very drastic sound. It's such a such a, a drastic change. It reminds me of of early Sting stuff. Oh, interesting. Okay, you know, and it's probably just because it's that era. Yeah, but it it does feel a little bit more synth pop than what you would expect from the world's greatest prog rock band. It's that's funny because I would have said Bowie. It reminds me of of some Bowie as well. I don't think that's a bad comparison. I think that, you know, there's a lot of, there were a lot of sounds that were mulling about in the eighties with mm-hmm. each other. And I think that to me, this sounds like, like the, the step with this album has been toward that more popular sound so yeah. far, at least. Right. Right. We're one song in anything can change. It could, the rest is acoustic. The rest of the album is acoustic. I don't know why. And played on a zitar for some reason. <laughs> Everyone complains about this album because they can't get past the first song. Right. Yeah. In fact, no one has ever listened to the rest of this album. Yeah. This is a first, everybody. And neither will we. Nope. Moving on uh, next week. To... Next week, we will. <laughs> Funnily enough, guess who loves this album? Is it Ian Anderson? It's Martin Barr. Oh, it's Martin. Oh, that's right. I forgot. He really does like this song. Yeah. yeah it's one of his favorite albums. Yeah. He, he does like it. Oddly enough, and if this 
things things will change. Sounds will change throughout this album, but there it's not very guitar heavy so far. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I was picking through that that wall of sound in the first couple of seconds, and I actually noticed the guitar standing out, maybe because I was mm. looking for it. Yeah. But I, I do feel like Martin is playing with a sense of joie de vivre in this song that has not necessarily been lacking on the on Broadsword, but is definitely noticeable for this. It really seems like he's, you know, I, I just imagine him having set down his boba tea and just being in a great mood and playing his guitar. Are you saying that, that Jerry Conway was the dead weight? And once they got rid of him... Jerry Conway was like, no boba tea in the recording studio! <laughs> and just Martin just like quietly sitting sad, sad. in the corner, just playing. Boom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's probably it. I think we're onto it, yeah. There's lots of digital stings in this, and it's unknown to my ears which of this is uh, the Fairlight Convention and which of this is uh, Peter John Batiste on his uh, synthesizers. Right, he's he's in there and there's a lot of weird kind of stings and and zips and sounds and, and kind of accents. It's, scree, it's scree, really scree. fun. Yeah. yeah, as over the top as some of the synth was last album... The drum machine clearly takes the place of the over the top. So when PJV's in there, it's it's really kind of fun. It's pleasant. You know, I know that there is a lot of emotion in the Jethro Tull fandom about the use of the drum machine. Very much so, yeah. And I want to say that, like a good child of divorce, I can see both sides. You know, I can see why people dislike it because it does. There's one point when, you know, everything, a lot of the other instruments drop out and you pretty much just hear the drums and mm-hmm. Ian singing over it. Yeah. Buy me a Datsun or Toyota. I need money that is my heart. Which is a technique that we've heard before mm-hmm. with Tall. And, and often it, it's kind of a nice like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really rock and roll. In this case, with a drum machine, it does feel a little... Cold and empty, perhaps? Yeah, just automated, yeah. But on the other hand, I can understand Ian's excitement about the idea that you could program the sound of drums. Like, based on what we know about Ian from this time period, he's clearly very, he's enchanted by the the technology. Oh, sure, He he's, I mean, we've seen it kind of right from the get-go. He is an early adopter and he loves to jump in. And and we saw that with a lot of the content of the music from Walk Into Light, talking about computers and things like that. I mean, that's that's there, and I get that. But I wonder, I would love to know what you get from a drum machine that you don't get from a drummer. Well, I mean, you get absolute consistency. You get, you know, mathematical drumming, yeah. which is... Probably something that anyone who's ever played with a drummer has wished for on some level. <laughs> Valid, sure, sure. You know, you literally just set the metronome and off it goes. Yeah. It doesn't have any of those human perceptions of time making it sway one way or the other. Those nasty emotions. Those. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, you don't... I think what, what I imagine is more difficult to get is a sense of dynamics. And that's what I think I'm missing from this song with the yeah. drums is... You know, knowing the drummer, knowing when to pull back and when to go ham, as you yeah, say. I do. I do say that. Yep. To go Satan, as I say. <sighs> yeah, the it's all it's all one level. And I, I don't know if it is the volume, the mixing, the it, whether it was intended or not. And it, it, it does get adjusted and kind of corrected, for lack of a better term, later on in the album. Right, I'm sure you can fix it in post to some extent. Yeah, but I mean, the thing in the forefront in this song is that drum, and I I always have to, like, squint with my ears to get through to hear the rest of it. Little ear squint, yes. Little ear squint. I'm doing it right now. Can you see it? It's happening. I can feel it. That being said, the other instrument that kind of powers through it is Peggy's bass, actually. 
and it's great. It's for, it's, I find it very prominent and it's, it's as to be expected. I've, I've always really dug Peggy's base. Maybe it's more prominent for me. You look confused. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I was toying with a hangnail. <laughs> oh, okay. So you agree completely. <laughs> I'm 100% with whatever <laughs> you just said. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So I, I do get Martin's guitar in there as well. It doesn't blow me away in this song, but it's there. He doesn't have a lot of chances to, to like do a big solo. Yeah. But when he does break through, it is of a really sterling quality. It's, it's just very, well, uh. I mean, it's, it's Martin. It's Martin at this point. It's Martin Barr. And it's, yeah. and it's Martin Barr really coming into his, his peak, perhaps. His godhood. Yeah. Yeah. He has ascended. His godhead. His godhead. Ian's flute is in there, tossed in every now and then. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know what? I actually completely lost that with all the digital screamings and zappings. Yeah, it's it's in there. It's not super prominent. It's not regular. Most of most of the screamings and zappings are synth. But he's in there. Some kind of the occasional tooty sting. The uh, the obligatory flute toot. Flute toot to boot. That's right. And let's see. The last thing I I, I really want to note musically is we get some harmonies in here, probably with Peggy, I, I would assume. It doesn't sound like like Ian's poor man's harmonization. It sounds like legit, le- legit another voice in there. Lab, lab of luxury, yes. yes, toward the end of the song, we have that kind of overlapping, slightly polyphonic. Lap, lap of lap, lap. Oh yeah, luxury, yeah, yeah. Lap, lap. Lap, lap of luxury. And in the 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 woe woes at the the ends too, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not bad. I I would love to hear this entire album acoustic. I think I I dig the hell out of this album acoustic. On a hurdy gurdy. On a hurdy gurdy. Let's do a hurdy gurdy. Let's do a calliope. We'll throw in a glass harmonica, yeah. and oh, a theremin. That would be wonderful. Yeah. And a brick being beaten against another brick. Yes. Yeah. By a by a machine. Oh, yeah. That's the drum machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the fascinating thing is, you know, I think the first time that I heard of a drum machine, mm-hmm. I imagined an automated drummer where you would get essentially a robot with arms <laughs> that would be able to play an actual dr- drum set. Of course, that's not what is the case here. I think the sound, even if the timing were like perfect mathematically sound with that kind of drum machine i think it would sound better because it would be the natural sound of the drums you know Uh uh-huh i think where you get away with it here is that there there are so many other digital sounds i mean right yeah i mean it's really it's almost half and half really you have the digital drums the digital synthesizer ian's synth and then three live instruments three three manually played instruments if we didn't have the synth in the back, boy, would this be, I think it would be even more jarring. I agree. I think that then it would really sound like they were trying to save money by not hiring a drummer yeah. rather than, okay, we're experimenting with this new technology. Yeah. Jerry, Jerry's out sick for the, the next three years. Yeah. We have to do this somehow. We've got a deadline right. to, to make. Yeah. Anything else to say about the music of Lap of Luxury? And JDA was not old enough at this point to be a drummer for Tall. So if Jerry couldn't make it, that's why. Who's JDA? JDA, James Duncan Anderson. Oh, of course. (laughs) No, nothing more to talk about. What about you, Omen? Nothing. I am exhausted. I think we should take a quick break and come back to talk about the content in the second half. Let us do that. Oh, hello, oh, Nick. Holy, sh- wow, Omen, we're, we're oh, here. You came over here so fast. Did I you know. ride your bike? I did, I did. My electric scooter, I, it's fully charged. <laughs> I plugged it in. We're good to go. Your scoop machine? My scoop machine? <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people don't like this era of Talk Tall to me because I use the, the scoop machine instead of the oh, regular yeah. scooter. I mean, it gets you there, but the romance is gone. I know. But for the people who are first introduced to Talk Tall to me in this era, they'll always have a special place in their heart for it. 
Oh yeah, totally. Anything to chat about while we're here? Since we're, since we're here, since since we're here, we might as well talk about it. I've got myself an email. What? <clears throat> Your emails, sir. Thank Pasternik, you. here is your email. Thank you, Marley Machine. I appreciate that. It's... Straight into the wall. Yeah, no, no, I got it. Please make sure you clean up the silver paint in the bathroom and buy another roll of tinfoil, please, Marley. Deactivating not enough scotch. Oh, gosh. He's just getting more and more belligerent tonight. I'm not, I'm not sure I like it. Really don't know that we're saving any money. No, I've I've definitely spent the much Marley more machine. money. Yeah, yeah, not not helpful. Ah, well, what's the email say then? Okay, so this is from a previous writer inner, Greggy K. Let's fall into the K hole. Oh, I think that's what you said the last time we talked about Gre- <laughs> talked about Greg's email. Got a finite number of jokes, Nick. This was all the way back from the beginning of February. Believe it or not. From the beginning of what? February. Oh, you say that you say that word so strangely to me. February. 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 There's an R. Feb, feb, February. 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 <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Back in in the second month of the year, Greg writes. Hopefully, you aren't sick of me yet, but seeing that you haven't reached under wraps yet. I wanted to get out in front to posit a few thoughts. I know that Under Wraps is not a favorite album for most Tull fans for a variety of reasons. Electronic drums, techno keyboards, Ian's decimated vocal cords, etc. I listened with interest to the review on another excellent podcast, Vernacular Verbose, where I first encountered your fine selves. And they were less than complimentary of the work as a whole. I get it. I really do. At the time of the release, we, the United States, Britain, the Western European alliances, were still very much embroiled in the Cold War, and both the news and popular fiction were ripe with stories of intrigue and espionage. At that time, I was reading books from John le Carre, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and Martin Cruz, Gorky Park, among others. These were complex, multi-layered stories of double crosses, sabotage, red herrings, murder, and mayhem. Then my beloved Jethro Tull released Under Wraps, and the vinyl album version read like one of these novels. All the characters were there. Greedy capitalists versus dogmatic state loyalists, spies, turncoats, seductresses, anonymous folks in anonymous cars, saboteurs, turncoat generals, news agencies trying to break the story in heavy type big government space project. Frankly, it never occurred to me at the time that this wasn't a concept album. Each song was a chapter in the overall story arc. We, the listener, were the hapless bystander being swept along by the events taking place all around us, trying to put the pieces together. I absolutely was enthralled by Ian's weaving of a grand Cold War story. I will say that the original vinyl playing order really told this story well. It wasn't till years later that the CD version was released with extra songs thrown in the mix. Those songs perhaps weren't wonderful, but they did add to the narrative I already had in my head. Though I thought then, and I still think that the song Apogee was the perfect end for the album. When they stuck automotive engineering and general crossing at the end, it broke some of the continuity. My favorite songs are European Legacy, Later That Same Evening, and Heat. For my money, Martin Barr's solo on Heat stands out as a real highlight. Brief, but a real scorcher. Hmm. So in conclusion, I would say Under Wraps is not a perfect album. Perhaps not even a very good album. But it remains one of my favorites for the story it tells. As always, keep up the great work. All the best, Greg. Greggy, thank you so much for the context. One of the things that we find so valuable about our listeners and our writer-inners is that they provide us the things that we don't bother to think about, like the context in which the album was released, which, of course, the Cold War. I mean, you know, as soon as you say it, it's so obvious, but you said it and we hadn't yet. So thank you so much for your perspective. Absolutely. It's 
super crazy helpful, always and forever, we'll, we'll continue to say it, having listeners and this collaborative thing that we are together, having everybody from different time periods and different walks of life and different experiences and how they they interact with these albums because other than Zealot Gene and the Christmas album, yeah, we did not experience any tall in real time. That is true, yes. So it's super useful to have these pieces. Crazy, sexy, flashy, cool of you to write in. It makes us feel like the beak of an octopus that has an infinite number of tentacles <laughs> reaching out across time and space. A Cthulhu of Tall, if you will. Cthulhu. Katak Cthulhu to me. <laughs> Thank you, Greg K., for writing in, and we will be sure to keep an eye on the overarching narrative of this album. I'm really excited to talk about the different versions of the release. This one in particular was released in more formats than any other album before it, so lots to talk about there. Yeah, absolutely, and we will dive into that a bit later on. But for now, let's dive out of this break. Let's dive out into this tiny little thimble of water. Once we get dried off, we'll talk lyrics. Splash. Pass me cooking thimble! It's full of sherry. Here I am, Omen. My, my scooter is fully charged. I'm back. We can talk lyrics about Lap of Luxury. Lyrics of Luxury. Thank goodness. I am... The Lap of Lyrics. ...really ready to talk about these luxurious lyrics. They are great. I condition them twice a week, and we are good to go. As Abba said, Nick, mm -hmm. money, money, money must be funny in a rich man's world. The great sage Abba once said, yeah. This really, you know, we talk, we have talked often about which bucket do we put uh, songs into, which which bucket of classification. Yes. And because we ran out of drawers. This one I would put in maybe a new kind of a bucket. I think this album just belongs in its own bucket. I think it's an under wraps bucket. Because there are very few songs that I can recall to my memory that are specifically about, like, I wish I had the money. I know, and I, I think I think Greg brought up a good point, and I, I didn't realize it until really sitting down this morning and, and kind of analyzing all of the lyrics as a whole, but, like, I, I kind of think this is a concept album in the same sense that Aqualung was a concept album, you know? One of those non-concept concept albums. Yeah, exactly. Concept with a little C. It's a non-cept album. It's, <laughs> it's a contraceptive album. <laughs> no one can get pregnant while listening. And honestly, that's probably right. No one will get pregnant listening to this album. <laughs> well, quick anecdote. I realized, I had the realization yesterday, uh, my friend, we were driving in the car, my friend put on the Electric Light Orchestra. Oh, Nice. And I was like, what is this? And she was like, oh, this is the Electric Light Orchestra. Do you, do you like that band? And I was like, if I'm honest, I thought this song was the Beatles. Yeah. She was like, oh, okay. And then she, we played another song. Was it Mr. Mister Blue Sky? Is that the one? Yes. It's super Beatles. Yeah. And then she put on another song and I was I was like, is this also the Electric Light Orchestra? And she was like, yes. And I said, I thought this was the Cars. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were talking about the ELO. Uh -huh. And I said, oh, so they're, they're a little bit more like pop rock. And she, she was like, I wouldn't really call them pop. And I was like, well, I mean, in comparison to something like prog rock, like Jethro Tull. And she was like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, listenable. Oh, 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 goodness. Does she know what you do in your free time? Yes. <laughs> wow, shots fired. She looked you dead in the eyes. As she was driving, she looked dead in the eyes away from the road and said, this is listenable. And then we hit, Held hit it. a fire hydrant. Held it for like two minutes. But... To that point, this is not the music of the Electric Light Orchestra. Very much so, yeah. This takes a little bit of digesting to really appreciate. Yeah, this you have to ruminate on this. You need to chew it a couple of times, put it in every one of your stomachs, bring it back, chew it some chew more. Chew on it a little bit more. Yeah. This is the cud of Jethro Tull. It really is. It really is. That's, you know, 
as ridiculous as that metaphor, as, as ridiculous as that bovine metaphor was, it was actually quite apt. As mad as that cow <laughs> metaphor was? You're really milking it for all it's worth. Don't. I got a, a stitch in my calf. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Cramp. That's the word I was looking for. There we go. Not worth it. There are other songs that I can think of from Tull that are kind of in the bucket of money is the root of all evil. Or even though I'm rich, I'm not focused on that. I think that maybe the closest or or even, you know, even I'm enjoying the modest wealth that I have obtained, like like yeah. with four wheel drive low ratio. Sure. Right. Right. This is our first introduction to a character that maybe sticks around for the rest of the album? Question mark? We'll have to see. Yeah. Is this the new Ronnie Pilgrim? Is this the new Ray Lamas? Yeah, it could be, but really pertinent to to the spy format, we never know his name. Oh. Yeah. Also, probably because he didn't think of it as a, as a concept album, so he didn't give him a name. But I like to think that it's because of the spy thing. Uh, or yeah. does, without a name, does the spy become all of us? We are the spy. We're an every spy. The money won't last forever. Rentman called twice today. I hope someday you'll find me in the lap of luxury. The money won't last forever. Rentman called twice today. I hope someday you'll find me in the lap of luxury. Is this a rich man who somehow lost his source of income and is kind of like running out of that, that nest egg? Or is he has like is he trying to be a rich dude and he just he just can't make it work? Yeah, it's interesting. I it, it it could be read either way. It could be read. You're familiar, of course, with the the classic musical, My Fair Lady. How bizarre that I was literally just telling Raven that I assistant directed My Fair Lady one summer at Hofstra, and the the big draw was this old off-Broadway star named Lorraine Sarabian and she okay she was she would you could have put a cardboard cutout of her up there and it would have been just as emotive <laughs> but like she she was the draw for all of the blue hairs I mean that's wow that was the thing to pull in all the all the old people and they they loved her on Long Island oh my god wow. she was a star but yeah I, I I was funnily enough I was just telling Ray about that today so you're very familiar with the song that goes all I want is a room somewhere far away from the cold night air with one enormous chair. Oh, boy, didn't it be lovely? All I want is a room somewhere far away from the cold night air. I, I'm not as familiar with it as you are, apparently. <laughs> so, I mean, that song is a is a is a, a simple and evocative song of someone who has no money but wants to live a life that is more comfortable. Right. Was that thunder? It was. Wow. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll uh, we'll we'll stick with this as long as Omen has power and. Um... I'm keeping the thunder in. That was really badass. I wish you had said like a much better line than like <laughs> than talking about my fair lady. <laughs> but that's a, that's an example of a song in which someone who has never had anything is imagining a life of comfort. Right. This you could read it that way. But one gets the sense that what this character is craving is a return yeah. to the lap of luxury. He's accustomed to that lifestyle and is, the end is very near. The end is in sight for him. And he's he's been desperately trying to, to find a new source for this life. Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't have much evidence for that take except for when we jump down to the fourth verse. And the gaffer is a man of substance, drives a jag and takes high tea lives beyond the industrial wasteland laughing in the lap of luxury. All 
the gaffer and what is his relation to the the protagonist right so a, a gaffer in british slang is a sports manager so like football i.e soccer in our in our world rugby cricket but the gaffer the old gaffer could also refer to one's father oh oh yeah that's valid i think it makes a lot more sense if it's a reference to his father it could also mean his boss hmm I think maybe it's more in the American context that gaffer really means father because gaffer is the equivalent of gammer. It's like gaffer oh, gran- yeah. grandfather. Gaffer Riley, gammer, yeah. grandmother. Yeah. It's an old man. Yeah. Apparently it's used to – it can be used to reference one's employer, you know, the head of a shop. Okay. The old man of the of the work situation. Or it could reference one's, one's father. So interesting – that it could kind of go either way here. Yeah. Stepped out on a new horizon, felt a new spring in my feet, found a job it could set me up, dangling in the lap of luxury, and, and the, gaffer the gaffer is a man of substance. There you go. Yep. Stepped out on a new horizon, felt a new spring in my feet, found a job it could set me up, dangling in the lap of luxury. So I think it is the boss. Context clues. Okay, great. So he's saying that's the new horizon for him. If the boss is rich, maybe I can be rich too. I can get this. Someday I'll be there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why is high tea a luxury? I think that, well, high tea is a very particular institution in Britain. And I'm going to get this 30% wrong. But tea is both a drink and a meal. Yeah. So in the in the middle in the middle classes, tea is what we call dinner, like an early dinner. Okay. So like an afternoon snack almost? Depends. I think okay. it can be an afternoon snack, but it's it's often just what it's just the, the evening meal. Okay. High tea is a very fancy event where you go to a special place that serves a high tea and they make a big event out of it. And it is it is a it is it's a meal in between meals. Okay. And they have all the the baked goods and the clotted cream. And it's sort of, it's something that either you do once in a great while. It's the sort of thing that you might take your grandkid to, you know, once in a, once in a while. And it's, it's super swanky. You, you got to pay for it. Oh yes. Okay. And, and in terms of the boss going, I think it's might be in the sense that like that he can just often go in the afternoon. Exactly. Like he can just, he can take the time off. Or maybe it's that, you know, he's doing a business deal over over tea. Sure, sure. There's also the interesting reference to the vehicle. The gaffer drives a Jag. Oh, sure. Short for a Jaguar. Yep. Which is a very fancy car. Very fancy car. The singer, or the, the protagonist, then says, I need money now to soothe my heart. Interesting that it's not, I need money now to pay off my creditors or I need money to live. We're not, you know, um, they were the morning's shillings spent anymore. Oh, God, yeah. Very different time. And sure, maybe th- this is not Ian himself. This is this is a character, but I mean, Definitely. we're still embodying a, a different, even a different mindset. I don't think we would have come up with anything like this, what, 20 years ago. That's right. Previous songs have been about money, have been about survival. Yeah. Whereas this is not really about survival. It's about wanting to be better set up than one is. To go back to your station. And and, and in in this song, the, our narrator makes it sound like it's, it's for survival. This is how the, he can't live any other way. He needs, right, 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 right. You know, in, we've talked so much about Ian's love for trains. Trains. And... In this case, this person is saying, I need a car. Buy me a Datsun or Toyota. Get the tax man to agree all the expense that I can muster from the lap of luxury. Buy me a Datsun or Toyota. Get the tax man to agree. All expenses I can muster from the lap of luxury. Oh. Neither of those are Jaguars. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the low model. But at the same time, it's not a it's not a Ford Prefect. You know, it's like it's like that mid range. It's like this is the most okay. luxury that I can afford, and it's not that luxurious, but it's better than this old jalopy. 
Right, right. Yeah, really interesting. Now, given the context that Greg brought up and that we will get into in further episodes, how does this fit into our spy motif? Unless this is like the introduction of, of which it, it never happens this way, but like, hey, hey, buddy, I know you're in a tight spot. You want to do some spying for your country? <laughs> well, sometimes it does. I mean, I guess, you know, it's, I guess the motif is more like, we'll give you a get out of jail free card if you put your life on the line for your country. Sure. Right. This, it's hard to know. I mean, really, because I haven't, I'm not so familiar with the album, but mm-hmm. this is a new horizon. This is a a mysterious past at a new horizon and the possibility of luxury in the future. Maybe the gaffer is works for MI6. MI5. MI5. <laughs> Wait, isn't it what's MI6 from? I don't know. MI6 is the the fancier spy. Oh, no, that's just Mission Impossible 6, I think. Okay. That's right. <laughs> uh, it is. It is Mission Impossible Fallout 2018. Oh my god, that's hilarious. No. It's the Secret Intelligence Service. Commonly known as MI6. Is it? Are you sure? I got what about it right. MI5? I think MI6 is James Bond. MI5. Which is a step above MI5. Yeah, okay, mine is fictional, yours is real. Right, 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 yes. The real <laughs> security service is known as MI5. Oh my god. What a difference. One is the loneliest number, truly. Speaking of James Bond, mm-hmm. or the whole world of spy fiction, yes. you know, so much of the appeal of those novels and those films is watching people inhabit this super wealthy world. You know, you love seeing James Bond buy a new suit and get a new car and get a new boat that he immediately trashes. Yeah. And go to the fancy parties and then tear it all up. I mean, it's great. It's so much fun to kind of fantasize about that. And in a way we have that fantasy brewing in this song. Yeah, I think you're right. I I think that's, that's the, the best way to make it fit. This is the one that conceptually kind of sticks out a little bit for me in terms of not quite fitting so perfectly well into the whole overarching theme. But I I do like that idea that it's that maybe the rest of the album is all a dream. It's all a fantasy. I think we will have to keep an eye on the overarching narrative of of this album and really, you know, I think this is going to be a, an investigation, if you will, an undercover investigation for us no i'm gonna do it very blatantly i'm just gonna scream i'm looking at this any commies over here (laughs) anybody pinkos no nothing all right if you've got military secrets you gotta leave them here on the way out where are the ruskies come on if i ask you you have to tell me (laughs) that's part of the deal nick anything else to say about the liep of luxury no no I'm more interested and excited to get into the rest of this album now, now that we've kind of kind of scratched the surface paint of of this album with this first track. You are someone who is passionately frugal and and rejective of most of the trappings of, you know, like success in the way that society tells us that we have to show our success. Yes. Try to say that in in as clear a way without insulting you as possible. Are you saying I'm cheap? (laughs) <laughs> I didn't say that. No, you spend money on the things that you enjoy, but you don't, I think, feel the need to spend money on something that will show off a sense of wealth. Oh, yeah. I, I don't care what people think. <laughs> people. I don't care yes, <laughs> what indeed. anyone thinks about me. That's yeah, yeah. That was my point. But yeah. is there is there any luxuries that you have ever been like, oh, God, I just... I'm going to get the next one down from that until I can get to that. Like, you know, the Jaguar metaphor, hmm. like... I want a Jaguar, but I'm going to get the Toyota because that's what I can afford. But I really want a Jaguar. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I think... Mm, no, it's usually I, I wait until I can get the thing. Unless it's like a, a completely practical need. Right. Like, both of the Priuses died. I needed a new car. Couldn't get an electric car, so I bought a hybrid a Subaru. Sure. You know. Next best thing, I would say. Very, very happy with my Subaru purchase. Yes, yes, no doubt you are. If money were no object, would there be any luxury items that you would indulge in that you can think of that appeal to you, that fire your imagination, that spark your loins, Nick? 
that what that smell is? <laughs> I would, I, I, I would say an electric car would be, would that, would that be a luxury? I suppose. Mm-hmm. No, I guess it depends on the type of electric car, but sure. I mean, a Tesla could be a luxury. Sure. It would not be a Tesla. I will not give that man my money. No, no. Then in that case, no, no, it would be a practical, like a leaf or something. Wow. We're so, we're so different. You and I, a nice house with, with some acreage. Is that a luxury? I suppose it is. Well, in this day and age, yes, definitely it is. Okay. Then then that would be it. That's top on but my But you'd list. have it set back from the from the roads and no one could see it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it wouldn't be a a, a mansion that's that's fenced off but everyone can see it. Yeah, yeah. Behind yeah. the fence. Yeah, yeah, no, no one would know we were there. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it's it's more personal luxury. I I mean, I do not care a whit about status in in the eyes of society because most of society sickens me i want a diamond encrusted ducati motorcycle just to ride to the bathroom it would be unrideable <laughs> so sharp it'd be so completely sharp completely useless princess cuts all over the place what? <laughs> you would need you would need diamond encrusted leather pants in order to yes. ride it yeah di- diamond encrusted assless chaps a diamond encrusted ass to go under your diamond encrusted ass. Assless, assless chaps. chaps, indeed. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by luxury. I'm fascinated by luxury items. I, I like, I would like to own some of them <laughs> and I enjoy some of those things. I enjoy a good perfume. I enjoy a good, you know, silk pocket square, a good suit. I, I think that I have more interest in that sort of thing than, than you do. That is confirmed. That is scientific fact. Yeah. And that's why we are so good together. I give you all of the luxury items that I get, and you give me all of your rutabagas because they're <laughs> practical. <laughs> give you every rutabaga that I've ever grown. It's yeah, it's it's a fair trade, I would say. Speaking of rutabagas, what are we listening to next week? Next week, we are combining tracks two and nine off of this album. Why would we do such a thing? Because they are under wraps one and two. That's right. That's right. That's what we're doing. And it's sure to be a good one. Until next time, if you would like to lay your head in the lap of luxury... Why don't you put your head into a Talk Tell to Me branded hat, which you can get at our Tee Public page. Just go onto the link in the show notes. I hate to break this to you, but your money won't last forever. So spend it on a Patreon subscription. Just $5 a month. That's right. Get you two bonus podcasts each month, Outtake Tall to Me and Feckless, a grab bag of content. And it gets you access to our Discord server to chat with other like-minded tall nerds. The gaffer is a man of substance. He drives a Jaguar, and he takes his opinions to the internet, where he gives us a five-star rating and positive review on all of the pod places. So you, too, should be a person of substance, I think is ultimately what we're saying here. Exactly. Until next week, I'm the rent man calling once a week, Nick McGill. I am the industrial wasteland Omen Thomas Sade. We are the gaffers, momes of substance, the feckless momes. And we found a job because this is Talk Tall to Me. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, Eliza, Eliza, please sit down. It's time for your elocution lessons. Eliza, we've we've talked about this. Yes, Professor Riggins, I'll sit me arse down on this fluffy. Ooh, it's got more, more stuffing than a Frenchman on a Sunday. Repeat after me, Eliza. Yes, Professor. Funny how long nights allow thoughts of Jacqueline. Funny how long nights allow thoughts of Jacqueline! 
Am I doing it, Professor? <sighs> Am I a proper lady now? Not quite. Not quite. Uh, let, let's let's try let's try another one. Let's see. Mayhem in the high degree. Mayhem in the high degree. I've got I've got a tongue twister for you, Henry Higgins. I scratch my rash with this flash of blush. <laughs> I just made that up. It don't mean nothing. That was um. That's a, that's a what they call small talk in our society. All right, uh, let's 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 try another one, a bit more classy than that. Now she's kissing Willie, my best friend, Willie. Now she's snogging Willie, my best gaffer, Willie. Yes. Oi, Professor, don't mean to be rude, but this fruit ain't even fruit. I busted my tooth on it. That's that is a plastic. It's it's decorative. Oh. Uh, uh, all right, let's let's try this one. This one is a bit. Even the dog's gone mad. That's dreadful. Let's try this one. Is the most challenging yet. But but Eliza, I I know you've been practicing in your off time. I think I think we can make this work. All right. Then you can go kick the dog as you are, you are want to do. I do love it. It's the most comfortable thing I've ever done with my feet. Repeat after me, Eliza. Talk told to me is a proud member. Of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. Talk, talk to me, is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. By Jove, Eliza, I think you've done it. I've done it. I've done it, Henry. Henry Higgins. I shall kick the dog. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>